And that's exactly where these questions come from. You know, the word pastor means shepherd. A shepherd, of course, is somebody who just helps take care of sheep, leads them where they need to go, and helps provide some answers for their life. And as a pastor, I do that from God's Word. And so I want to give some direction, perhaps, to your life today in the form of answering these three questions, and uh, all of which will come from God's Word. Here's the three questions I'm going to ask. What is God's will for my life? Secondly, how do I grow as a child of God? And then finally, how do I balance my very busy schedule? And I think that those questions probably hit everybody. If not all three of them, at least one of them hits. What's God's will for my life? How do I grow as a child of God? And how do I manage my very busy schedule? So let's just dive right in. Question number one, what is God's will for my life? Well, I got a a piece of news for you this morning, okay? God is not like the Easter bunny in the sky who hides his will behind every little bush and every clever place, and if you're lucky, you may stumble upon it. That's not how God's will works. As it turns out, God reveals all over his word what exactly is his will for our life. Oftentimes, we get so caught up trying to make the right decision at a particular point in time and focusing on that being how to find God's will for our life that we miss the more important thing, which is that God wants to shape you into a certain kind of person. That's much more important as we understand God's will for our life than making a particular decision. God wants you to be a certain kind of person. And if you are being transformed by God's Holy Spirit, you will find yourself being changed more and more to the certain kind of person that God wants you to be. And once you are that person, then you will start making those decisions, I think, with better perspective and with better information as a transformed child of God. So what's God's will for my life? Let me just share with you four helpful answers to that question. There are more answers, but I'm going to limit to these four because we've got a good bit of ground we need to cover this morning. What's God's will for my life? Number one, that you're saved. All right, we often overlook that. That is God's will for your life. You say, who, me? Yeah, you. That's God's will for your life. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3 and 4, we read these words. This is good, this is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, notice this, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. God wants for you to be saved. I have met people before who were not professing Christians who wanted to know, should we take this new job? Should I accept this promotion? It means I'll have to move my family. What should I do about this difficult situation? And what God is saying to them is, listen, you need to get saved because one day you will die and none of those decisions will matter anymore. If you're here today and you've never given your life to God by trusting in Jesus Christ, you are right now outside of the will of God in this sense. God wants you to be saved. Now listen, we're, we're a pretty churchy bunch here, okay? Most folks who come to church every Sunday are, but don't let this just miss you, okay? You may have sat in a pew for decades, but somehow God's holy salvation has never touched your true self. You need to get saved today. You need to give your heart to Jesus. You need to repent 
of your sin and trust in Jesus who died on the cross for you. There is a sense in which it really doesn't matter what other decisions you're worried about, not until you get this decision right. Follow Jesus. Give him your heart. So that's the first answer to the question, what's God's will for my life? That you're saved. Here's number two, that you're spirit-filled. God wants you to be filled with his Holy Spirit. Here's what Ephesians 5, verse 17 and following says. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And he goes on to say this, interestingly, but we'll explain. Here's the will of the Lord. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Right? Here's the will of the Lord for your life. Don't be controlled by alcohol. Instead, be controlled by the Holy Spirit. Don't be filled with too much wine. Be filled with the Holy Ghost. When you're filled with the Spirit, it has an influence on your life. And so a version of you five years ago who may have made a wrong decision, because the Spirit is in your life today, it will, it will influence you to make the right decision. What does it look like to be filled with the Spirit of God? I'll tell you exactly what it looks like. Here's what Galatians 5 says is the fruit of the Spirit. In other words, what it looks like to be filled in an ongoing way with the Spirit of God. It looks like this in your life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. What's it look like to be filled with the Spirit of God? looks pretty good if you ask me. I mean, you, you, you're a pretty okay person to be around. People can trust you. It's hard to get you too upset. You're forgiving, gentle, and you practice self-control. That's what it looks like to be filled with the Spirit. So let me say this. What's God's will for your life? To be filled with his Holy Spirit. That is his will for your life. Let me share with you thirdly. What's God's will for my life? It's to be sanctified. Now, that's similar to being spirit-filled, but really it's, it's different ways of, of looking at the same issue. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3 says this, This is the will of God, your sanctification. Now, we like that word. That's a good 50-cent uh, word, sanctification. What's it mean? It means to be set apart. It means to be picked up out of the muck and mire of sin and worldliness, to be cleaned off by the regenerative power of the Holy Ghost through salvation, and then instead of being over here in sin and rebellion, be picked up and set apart, placed over here now in the service of our King Jesus. Here's a good illustration of what it means to be sanctified. Imagine if you drop your phone in the toilet. Now, a lot of you don't have to imagine because you've done that before. That thing's going to need to be sanctified before you put it back to its good, normal use. Do you understand what I mean? It's going to need to be picked up out of that bowl, cleaned off, dried up, and recharged so then you can use it for what it's supposed to be used for, okay? That's what sanctification is in our life. And so if you've got filthiness in your life, you're out of God's will. If you need to be cleaned off through forgiveness and, and through cleansing, well, you're out of God's will. God's will for your life is that you be sanctified. And finally, what's God's will for my life? That you be submissive. Again, there are more answers to the question than this, but what we're honing in on is not just the decisions you've got to make, but more importantly, the kind of 
person God wants you to be. What's he want you to be? He wants you to be submissive. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13 and following says this, be subject, that is to say be submissive for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it's to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and praise those who do good, for this is the will of God. It's God's will for you to be submissive to the authorities he has set up in your life. Now, I know we've dismissed a number of our kids to go to children's church, but let me just say this, okay? If you're here this morning and you're living at home with mom or dad, or you're living at home with your grandparents or some aunt and uncle, the will of God for you is to be submissive to your parents. All the parents said, amen, Brother Deke. It is God's will. Now, if you're here this morning and you have a job, it is God's will for your life that you be submissive to your employer or to your boss. You say, well, they're not a very good one. I don't like them. That's not the point. I mean, if they're that bad, find you a different job, okay? But still, the point is, for, for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ, we're supposed to be submissive to the authorities in our lives. We should be good, law-abiding citizens. And in any arena where we have leaders who work in leadership over us, listen, you ought to be loyal, faithful, and submissive such that your attitude and the job that you do within your organization makes Christianity look good. Right? People ought not to see you coming into your place of employment or into some business or into a church or into a school and think, oh, here comes that person. And when you leave, they say, you know, they're, they're a deacon down at their church. And they say, really? Oh, oh yeah, they're, they're a big holy roller. No, we ought to make Christianity look good. That's God's will for our life. God is, as I've already said, more concerned with the kind of person that you are and that you are becoming than he is with the particular decisions that you've got to make. You, you may not always know whether to go left or right, but you do know what kind of person God wants you to be. So work on that and trust him with all the particulars of your decision-making process. Let me ask you a second question this morning. Again, a lot of ground to cover. Don't have a lot of time to sit on any one point, but here's the second question. How do I grow as a child of God? How do I grow as a child of God? This question assumes that you have a desire to grow. You should. If there is not in your heart a longing to be closer to Jesus, something's the matter with your heart. Now, Jesus can fix it, okay? So don't tune out. But you should want to be. You say, well, I hadn't grown in, in years. It's not too late for you. If you're still drawing breath into your lungs, God's not done with you yet, how do I grow in my walk as a child of God? Three answers to that question. Number one, practice spiritual disciplines. Now, this isn't going to be flashy, glamorous stuff, but I'll tell you, it works. It works. It's kind of like if you ask, well, how do you lose weight? Diet and exercise. Duh, right? How do you grow in your walk with Jesus? Practice spiritual disciplines. Now, there's probably a dozen of those we could list off. I just want to share three. When I say spiritual discipline, what I mean is a habit that trends towards godliness in your life. Number one, the Bible. Number two, prayer. And number three, church. It takes discipline to engage in God's word with, with, with regularity in your life. That's what we call a spiritual discipline. 
First Peter chapter two, verse two says this, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. Like a baby needs milk to grow, dear child of God, you need the word in your life to grow. We should want to grow. There ought to be a desire in your heart to grow as a child of God. They'll tell you that the most direct cause of stunted growth in a human is inadequate nutrition. The same is true as believers. We need the intake of God's word in our life. Now, I've referred to this study in sermons before, but let me highlight it very, very briefly. Lifeway Research did a, a massive study a few years ago. It, it covered several years and thousands of people. They were trying to predict how can, how can, we, how can we spot where spiritual success is going to come from in someone's life. And their number one conclusion was this, Bible engagement better predicts spiritual success than anything else, which is to say, if you will read your Bible, right, or, or do Bible studies or try and memorize God's word or listen to good biblical preaching, those sorts of things in your life are the number one predictors of success determining whether or not you'll grow as a child of God. Uh, when you're reading the Bible, uh, one day a week, well, that's better than zero days a week, okay? If you're reading it two days, even better. But according to this study, something magical happened at the four-day mark. As they were measuring all sorts of different factors in their study, they found that when respondents read their Bible at least four days a week, feelings of loneliness dropped 30%. Anger issues dropped 32%. Bitterness in relationships dropped 40%. Alcoholism dropped 57%. Sex outside of marriage dropped 68%. Feeling spiritually stagnant dropped 60%. Viewing pornography dropped by 61%. Sharing your faith soared by 200%. And what predicted this spiritual success? It was Bible engagement, right? So if you're here this morning and you want to grow as a child of God, but you're not having any Bible discipline in your life, here's a great opportunity. I mean, a real simple, not always easy, but a real simple fix to a very real problem. You can grow. You need God's word in your life. That's the first spiritual discipline I want to highlight. The second one is prayer. Prayer will help you grow as a child of God. How do I grow? Okay, there's no silver bullet. There's no course that you can take over a weekend and then bam, you're just a, a, a stalwart giant of a Christian. But if you'll read your Bible and if you'll cultivate a life of prayer, you will find success as a child of God. 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 17 says, pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. Prayer is the breath of the Christian life. And prayer is only always one breath away. If you think it, pray it. If you need it, pray it. And there's two types of prayer I want to encourage you to, to really try and formulate in your life. Number one is prayer as a habit. And number two is prayer as a reflex. Okay, prayer is a habit. Same time, same place every day. Prayer as a habit. Have a prayer journal. 
Keep a prayer list. Write down people's names you will commit to pray for, right? That's prayer as a habit. Prayer as a reflex. Well, when something happens and you are shocked or you are scared or you find yourself in a position of need, you let your reflex be that of prayer. Prayer. We got reflexes, right? I'll tell you about a reflex of mine. Yesterday, I didn't tell Lauren this because she was working hard and I was sitting on my recliner watching football. But uh, yesterday, I was, uh, I was uh, LSU old Miss. I think I was watching that game. And I was sitting in my recliner, sort of paying attention, kind of drowsy. And uh, in the next room over, Lauren threw a laundry basket into the floor. And, and maybe she did it on purpose. I don't know. But man, it hit that floor. And I jumped up out of that recliner. She probably did it on purpose. He's in there watching football. I'm in here doing laundry. I jumped. I didn't even think about it. I didn't, I didn't think in my head, oh, there's a scary sound. You should jump. It just happened. It was a reflex. We've got to train our spiritual reflexes so that when life happens, right, before we despair, before we cry, before we call all our friends and don't know what to do, the first reflex ought to be, I'm going to pray about this. Big things, small things, if you think it, pray it. So practicing spiritual disciplines helps us grow in our life. Bible reading, prayer, and church involvement. In the single most concise statement about what it looks like to be involved in church that we have in all of God's word, here's what we find. Acts 2.42, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayers. Y'all, that statement in a nutshell contains what our role and our responsibilities are as church members, participants, those who are involved as a part of a family that is a church body. Hebrews 10, verse 24 and following says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and to good works, not neglecting to meet together as some are prone to do. Now, early, I mean, just a couple of decades removed from the time of Christ and his apostles. It's not like we're hundreds of years later. I mean, just a few decades, the church was already struggling with this issue. Hey, there's some out there. They, they've gone through the ranks. They, they know the deal about coming to church, making a profession, getting baptized. They help out. They may even still give a tithe, but they're neglecting coming to church. And God's word says, don't do that. We need it in our life. It is a discipline. Some say, well, you don't have to go to church to be a Christian. Well, there's a sense in which that's true, right? Because walking in the door doesn't save you. Jesus saves you. But uh, you, you don't have to park your car in a garage for it to be considered a car either. But if you want to take good care of it, you're going to put a shelter over that thing. And the church is a shelter over our lives here in the midst of this, this difficult world. Now, there may be some who retort, I, I don't really like going to church. I go, and, and there's something about it I don't like. I got a few comments in response to that, okay? Number one, something might be messed up with your locker, okay? If you don't like it, then your liker might be messed up because sometimes the things we like, things we're not supposed to like. Sometimes we don't have an affection for things that we should, but through godliness and through growth, our affections, right, our liker, as I call it, our affections can be trained and molded by the Holy Spirit. Well, I don't really like going to church. Well, find a church you do like going to 
get involved, stay plugged in, and grow. I want to grow in my life as a child of God. Well, I've given you a few ways to do that, all right? Practice spiritual disciplines. We named a few of those. Here's a second way you can grow in your life as a child of God. Always lean towards grace, right? If you're going to err on one side or the other, err on the side of grace. God's been so gracious to us. May we also be gracious towards other people. Ephesians 2 verse 8 says, it's by grace that you've been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It's a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Brothers and sisters, all of life is a gift. Now, when life's bad, It doesn't feel like a gift. In our minds, gifts feel good. But the truth is, all of life is a gift. Gift is grace. And in your relationship with God, always remember, it's grace. In your relationships with other people, always remember, it's grace. One spiritual writer said these words, the grace of God means something like this. Here is your life. You might never have been, but you are. Because in God's thinking, the party would not have been complete without you. Here is the world. Beautiful and terrible things will happen. But don't be afraid. I am with you. Nothing can ever separate us. us. It is for you that I created the universe and I love you. All of life is a gift. One other way that I can share for us to grow in our walk as children of God is this. Be kind to others. Okay, practice the spiritual disciplines. Always lean towards grace and be kind. Now, I'm not saying be a pushover. I'm saying be kind kind. Okay, I'm not saying be a weenie. I'm saying be kind. You can have more conviction than anyone else you know and still be kind. You know how I know that's true? Because I know Jesus, full of conviction and so kind, so kind to sinners like us. No one should ever come away from an encounter with a Christian with the impression that, oh, well, Christians think they're better than other people. Or those people down at church, they're kind of judgy. No one should ever come away meeting one of us with that impression. And when they do, brother and sister, we've got some growing to do in terms of kindness. Now, let me ask one final question this morning. How do I balance my busy schedule A few words I want to share with you. Listen, everybody that I talk to tells me how busy they are. Everybody. Hey, how's your week been? Good, busy. Oh, busy. Listen, we've got got a a good number of church members who are out this morning, and I don't know the particular reason, but I guarantee it comes down to this. They're busy. They've probably been running all weekend, woke up this morning feeling horrible, and they're just tired, and they're using this hour to catch up on some rest rather than come to church. Now, listen, we ain't judging them for it. We do wish they were here. But we all need help in this regard. How do I balance my busy schedule? Let me say a couple of words, and then we'll be finished. Word number one, 
Priorities. Okay, you want to know how to balance your busy schedule? I can't take things out of your schedule for you, but I can tell you, you need to sit down, put some thought into what's most important in my life, on my list of things to do. Put that in first. That's what it means to be a priority. Priority means this thing comes first. Jesus said in Matthew 6, verse 33, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Now, how do we set the right priorities? Well, we got to put the biggest items in first. Maybe you've seen this illustration before. It's like an object lesson. A speaker will take a big, uh, a big glass jar that's empty, and then beside it he'll have all these containers, and there'll be big rocks and little rocks and some sand or maybe some water, and he'll say, how can I get all these items in this one jar? And the only way is he's got to put the biggest rocks in first, right? If you put all the sand, you put all the other things in there first, the big rocks won't fit. you got to decide what's the biggest rock in my life. That's got to be put in first. It's called a priority. And so, brother and sister, I would tell you, you want to balance a busy schedule and grow as a child of God, you have to put this item in your, in your list first, my walk with God. Okay, not the idea of my walk with God. Listen, we all have a good idea. I mean your actual walk with God. Who you think you are, who you want to be, is often not the same as who you actually are. What you do is who you are, not what you wish you did or what on your best day you might almost have done, okay? Put the biggest items in first. Spend time with Jesus. Make sure you don't neglect the assembly and the worship of the saints together. Make sure to put the biggest items in first. Your relationship with God, your family, your work, and then your leisure. Now, for a lot of us, we, we, we like all those, but the leisure may come first or the work may come first or who knows what may, may come first. Put the biggest items in first. And then also I'd say this, set, uh, set priorities that lead your heart in the right direction. Jesus said you, you, where your treasure is, there, there your heart will be also. There's a principle there for us, okay? Prioritize things that matter and God will work on our liker right? Our affections. He'll work on those things. That's the first word, priorities. How do I balance my busy schedule? Here's the second word, limitations. Limitations. What do I mean by that? How do I balance all the things that I want to do and that I need to do? Let me just get real with you for a moment, okay? You can't. It's actually impossible. You can't do all the things you want to do. There are so many even good things you'd like to do, but you can't do them all. So you've got to cut some out. You, you've got to realize I'm limited. My time is limited. I am a human. I am not God. I cannot do everything. I just don't have enough time to do all the things that I want to do. Well, let me tell you, you will have enough time to do all the things that God wants you to do. So figure those things out. And maybe you've got to cut some things out. I heard Andy Stanley say one time that he had to learn early in his ministry. He had young children at home. He had so many opportunities in front of him, and he had to learn to say no. And, and what, what he told himself was no for now, but not forever. Okay, you've got to figure out what your priorities are for now. Put those in first. And don't have a mindset that says, well, I just feel like I'm missing out on so many things. just feel like I'm missing out. What is God's will for my life? It's to be a certain kind of person. 
a holy person. How do I grow as a child of God? I've given you several ways this morning. If you'll do those things, it'll work. It'll work. If there was a pill that I could prescribe to you and you take the pill and it made you a godlier person, we'd go into the pharmaceutical business, okay? But there's not. But there are principles. And we've laid them out this morning. Let me invite you, if you would, to bow with me. We've asked a number of what I think are very important questions, every one of which we've answered from God's Word. What is it in your life today that God is asking you to change? Is there a commitment that God's asking you to make? Maybe today you've got to set some priorities. Maybe you need to take some things out of your jar so you can put the big things in first. We're going to have a time of invitation this morning, an opportunity for you to respond I'm going to say a word of prayer, and then we're going to stand, and Brother Jeffrey's going to lead us in a song. As we sing, the altars will be open. You come. As the Lord leads you, you come. Father in heaven, we ask for your help during this time of invitation today. Lord, I pray for every dear soul in this place. Lord, as you have touched their heart today, may they respond. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand together and sing.